0: Let's all stand together, shall we, as our campuses join us along with us over in Stevens Point in Appleton. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, Good to have you with us. And again, greetings to everybody over in Stevens Point and Appleton this morning, worshiping along with us. Glad that you're part of our celebration church uh, this Sunday. Uh, Just two quick reminders uh, for our uh, New Year's Eve bash. Make sure you get your tickets, $15 suggested donation, but it's just a suggestion. Uh, And let us know if you're going to come and join with us. Now, I'm hearing from some of you geezers out there, some of you younger than I am. (laughs) or know it's going to be so late. Come on, you're not dead yet, for heaven's sakes! <clears throat> and uh, and then remind you, uh, encourage you with your Advent giving, okay? Now, as I told you, above and beyond our normal expenses, our budget, we want to take extra money and give to uh, helping uh, poor people around the world, putting in wells in South uh, Central America, uh, helping Jimmy Bratcher. He does these. He goes into federal prisons every year around Christmas time and ministers to them. Uh, we want to help him with that. Our, our local food pantries and stuff like that in the different campuses. So, uh, and that's uh, for what's above and beyond. Now, we haven't seen a real big imp- uptick this year. I just want to challenge you—you uh, know—to give sacrificially. That means ouch, okay? It's <laughs> of the sacrifice. I know we all think, "Well, the guy next to me will do it." Well, the guy next to you is a slacker. He ain't doing jack. All right, so. Let's all do something. What you normally give, then give above and beyond. Give that extra whatever and uh, so that you can bless other people, people you don't know. It's really giving. When you can give to help somebody where well, there's no win for you, let's face it, during Christmas when you give, there's always still kind of a win for you, right? Look what I got them, you know, or they like me because I did. You know, At some point, there's still a personal rush from that. When you give and there's no payoff for you emotionally or any other way, that's some sacrificial giving. So let me encourage you to be as generous as you can. All right, this morning, part two of my series, Ho, 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 Hoes of the Bible. Now, if you are visiting, fear not. This is not a salacious message in any way, shape, or form. You do not need to hide grandma or the children. Uh, We're we're just talking about uh, some of the people in the Bible who were immoral people, many of them prostitutes. Uh, and how they are such a part of literally even the Christmas story, which we'll get to in just a minute. But uh, the Christmas story is in and of itself a story of redemption. And as we looked at last week, it's amazing how many of the major stories in the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, surrounding Jesus, are those times that he stayed and ministered to and helped some of these people. One woman caught in the act of adultery, another woman, a moral woman in the city, the woman at the well. These are some of the major stories of the Bible All women that most of that culture would have had nothing to do with, oh, she's a hoe, who wants anything to do with her? But yet Jesus reached out to these people and ministered to them, forgave them, and is a great part of the Christian, central part of the Christian message. We read last week how the religious people of the day really didn't like Jesus because he would associate with these kinds of people, but Jesus didn't care. He came to seek and to save the lost, he said. Now, This morning, I want to read to you from one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament of a prostitute by the name of Rahab. Now, let me give you the setting for this account. Uh, We know God calls Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. It was a big deal. I don't know if you've seen the movie lately, but uh, they probably ruined the story, but anyway. But the real account was really rather dramatic, and God miraculously sets free these people It's a huge group of people, probably numbering a million or into the millions, and they were all slaves, a slave class, and they come out of there and begin their own nation just like that. Moses gives them the Ten Commandments, gives them a structure to live by. Uh, God just hammered Pharaoh and stuff with these incredible miracles, and then finally they said, okay, you can go. Now, this was not done in a closet. All the people saw this. Nations around them saw what was going on. This was a big stinking deal. If you were anywhere near surrounding Egypt, you know, Egypt ended up selling all that huge of a country. I mean, everybody saw what was going on. And they were greatly impacted by it. And uh, they feared with great fear the Israelites who had such a God that would fight for them. And uh, they knew because they said they were going to, this, to the land of Canaan. Now, the people in Canaan were freaking out. These guys are going to come and, and, and wipe us off the face of the earth, which was part of the judgment of God because the people in Canaan were extraordinarily wicked, nasty place. But God was sending them there. Now, I've heard varying degrees. I mean, who knows? Some people say it's a 10-day walk. Some people say it's a three-week, whatever. It doesn't take long to walk from Egypt to Canaan, all right? Even if you give it a few months, it's still a relatively short trip considering the logistics of moving such a huge group of people. But it took these guys 40 years to get there because they were so stubborn, and they kept rebelling against God and doubting God and stuff. And one of the major things that was the thing that just pushed God to say, okay, none of you guys go in. You're all going to die off. The guy just waited until they all died off, and then their kids went in, is they were getting ready to go into the land of Canaan, and they sent in some spies to spy out the land, and they came back and said, oh, they're too big. We can't do it. We'll never make it. Oh, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be horrible. And God was so big. after all the miracles God had done for them, they still wouldn't believe. So anyway, that's, that's a whole other sermon in and of itself. Anyway, so for 40 years, they're going around the mountains just doing nothing in the middle of nowhere. The nations around them, every time they came near them, they would freak. And, and how these people are surviving was stunning to them, because God would give them manna from heaven, and all kinds of water would pop up out of nowhere. I mean, it's a miracle that such a large group of people could survive in the wilderness. This is not, you know, Wisconsin, right? You get hungry in Wisconsin, you shoot something, right? Well, no, there's nothing to shoot out there. There's, there's nothing. There's no water. There's no anything, and uh, so anyway, there. Are, they're, they're amazed, and they're in, all the nations around them are just stunned. So finally, after the forty years, all these people died off. Their kids now are going in, and Moses finally dies. Uh, God wouldn't let him go into the Promised Land, or for whatever it, would, it doesn't matter right now. But uh, so the next guy in line is Joshua. And he tells Joshua, "I want you now to go into the land of Canaan." Remember, the first guys were too chicken; they wouldn't go in. Well, so now Joshua comes, and he's coming up to the land of Canaan. Well, they're still scared because. You know, if you're nervous and you're afraid, it has a lot to do with your performance. I mean, look at NFL games, right? These are evenly matched teams. Why is there always a home field advantage? Because there's a more of an emotional boost. Whoever has a stronger emotional boost seems to prevail. I'm hoping the Packers, everybody's gotta to, got to come through Green Bay through the playoffs, why? They Hallelujah, <laughs> as God's will, but anyway. Uh, because, because, because there's this emotional boost. I mean, everyone's, well, it's like that. It was very much like that during the time that we're talking about here. It wasn't like they had guns. Guns are a great equalizer. A great big guy or a little scrawny guy, they are equal with a gun. In fact, the scrawny guy, if he's a better shot, he'll take out the bigger guy. He's a bigger target, all right? But back in this day, size is big. I mean, these guys are, mad. whoever was the bigger guy, the bigger club, they would always prevail. And these people in the land of Canaan were very big. So they're coming, and Joshua comes to the first city, and it's the city of Jericho. It's a massive walled city, extremely wicked. So, of course, everybody's really nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. I mean, they're, you know, oh, we're going to go in. I can with you. So Joshua says, let's send a couple of spies in there and kind of get a feel for the land, because he's hoping for a good report to encourage the people to go in and do what God had called them to do. Well, the Bible doesn't really give us all the details. In fact, the, as I've said many times, the Bible is not a collection of stories. If it was a collection of stories, these are the worst storytellers on the face of the earth because they don't give you any details. They just recorded facts, da, 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 da. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, they would give you the end and then you have to keep reading to find out how we got there in the first place. It's kind of it's one of the struggles about reading the Old Testament, which you'll see in just a second. It tells us something that kind of backs up and it keeps telling you to find out where we're at. So let me give you the cliff notes version of this and then we'll look at it. Uh, They send in these two spies. Apparently something goes really wrong and they're busted. And they realize these guys are spies. Well they freak and they go right and they gotta hide. So they jump into, they cut into this place and it happens to be a house of ill repute. Oops. (laughs) It's Rahab the prostitute's house. And I'm sure they didn't know what was going in there. So they were in there, and all of a sudden they're there with this lady. And they must have, they, they, they bargained with this lady, hide us and uh, protect us. And, uh, and that's exactly what she did. So let's, let's pick it up in Joshua, the second chapter. Then Joshua, son of Nun, not the son of a nun, which would be wrong because nuns don't have sons. But, uh... <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, the guy's name was Nun. That's Joshua's his son. Son of Nun secretly sent two spies from Shittim. So he says, go look over the land, especially Jericho. They got to check out Jericho. So they went in and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Why did he say, again, they tell you that and then they more details. So they find out how he got there. Here we go. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. So again... Someone saw them going in there, reported, so they sent Rahab, say, hey, listen, bring out those men that came to you and entered your house because they've come here to sprout the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yeah, they came to me. I didn't know they were, where they were from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gates, they left. I don't know where they went. Go after them quick. You might catch up with them. Well, she's lying. Now, because what she had done, she had taken them quickly uh, or, or she, oh, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under stalks of flax that she had laid out in the roof. Do you see how this works? They give you kind of where everything is and they keep telling you the story and you find out more details. It's kind of backward storytelling anyway. It's, they're not telling stories, it's just the way they talked. So anyway, so the men set out in pursuit for the spies. They're gonna go find them on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. As soon as the pursuers leave, had gone out, the gates of the city are shut. <sighs> now before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof And said to them, I know the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. That's what they wanted to hear. And I'm sure they heard other details too. Rahab, I'm sure, was privy of hearing all kinds of information from the men that came into her place. She said, we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you and how you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord. This is Rahab still negotiating with these guys. Swear to me by the Lord that you show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, all who belong to them, and you'll save us from death. Well, the guy said, okay, our lives for your lives. If you don't tell them what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So this is the negotiations that they had, and eventually that's why they ran into the house, and that's how they found this lady and all this, whatever. So this is the deal. So verse 15, so she let them down by a rope through the window. for uh, The house she lived in was part of the city wall. It was a massive city wall. Uh, There's some reports, some... Archaeologists believe that the wall was so thick they'd actually have chariot races on top. I mean, it's a massive wall. And she, her house was built into this wall. So the, massive, the city gates were closed and stuff like that. But she gets, takes a rope and she lets these guys out uh, so they could get away. And uh, um, so she said to them, go to the hills so these guys looking for you won't be able to find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then you can go on your way. Now, the man had said to her, uh, now, this oath... You made a swear, will not be binding on us unless, and they gave him conditions. Remember, we talked about conditions. There's always conditions. Unless when we enter the land, you tie the scarlet cord. So he gives them a cord. You know, I don't know what it looked like. I don't know if it was a rope thing. I don't know what that. Anyway, there's a scarlet cord. Uh, and put this in the window, through which, apparently, it was something that enough that people would see it and recognize it. You got to put this in the window, uh, da, 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 which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother and brothers into the, into the house, you have to bring everybody in. If any of them go outside the house, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. They've got to stay in the house. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if, we, but if you tell what we're doing, we'll be released from the oath that you made us swear. Agreed. let it be as you say. So she sent them on their way uh, as they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Eventually, if you go on, they get away, and they get back to Joshua. And they tell him the good news, whatever, all that they found out, and how they had been busted, and how this lady had saved their lives, and the deal they made with her. And uh, so now they're all encouraged. These guys are freaking out because we're coming. Well, now they feel great. You're talking about home field advantage. When you know the guys facing you are scared to death, again, huge psychological advantage. Well, they go in, we won't go through the whole story. Eventually, the walls come crashing down. They come in, they take the city, they kill everybody. Wipe out the place. The judgment of God on this wicked city. But everybody, as in there said, when you see this house that's, this, that's in the wall with this cord, don't you go in there and don't touch any of those people. And so they all respected that. And so uh, at the end, uh, they saved her and her family. Now, a few points from this account, very briefly. Number one, this woman Rahab, she was a pagan. Spiritually, Rahab was not an ideal uh, circumstance to come to faith in God. She was a citizen of a wicked city that was under God's condemnation. She was part of a corrupt, depraved, pagan culture. She not only was part of this corrupt, pagan culture, even in that culture, she's at the bottom of the social structure. She's selling herself to men for money. So she is in a bad place. You know those people you think, man, they'd never go to church? Maybe your relatives. Uh, But you talk about somebody who never wants, you think they never go to church. This this lady is it. She is in a bad place. She is at the bottom. No one would have ever expected this lady would be the kind of person that would come to God in faith. Secondly, she heard about this wonderful God. Now, in her encounters with all these men that came to her, they would talk, and they would talk about you know, what was happening out there and this God is with the Israelites and they we think they're coming this direction, they're freaking us, how she knew. And they would talk about these miracles that they had heard that God was had done and was continuing to do for them. And she heard about this amazing God and she began to believe in him. You say, how is that possible? You know, it's, it's an amazing thing. Some people can hear the gospel all their lives, hear about Jesus all their lives and it doesn't seem to do anything for them. And then others, they can hear just the slightest story one time, the first time they hear about Faith in Jesus, and it changes their lives forever. They hear, and they come to faith. In fact, the Bible says without hearing or getting the information, you can't come to faith. That's the great thing. That's why we do what we do. That's why we gather together, and we preach, and we teach so y'all can hear the gospel so it'll help build your faith. That's why we're on television and all the stuff that we do to proclaim everywhere and all the different campuses, all the different ministries that we do things that we support, is to enable people to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Bible says if they hear it, then they can believe. But if they can hear it, they'll never believe. So it's incumbent on us to proclaim and make as much noise as we can in the most appealing way possible to let people know that there is a God that cares about That's why one of the main reasons that we're all here. All right? Number three... Here's a lady who acted on her faith. She risked her neck. If they would have found out what she did, instant death for this lady. I mean, this is a major risk she's taking. Can you imagine what this pagan culture would have done to her if they found out she was hiding these guys who'd come in, these spies? She would have been told. She made a big risk. But she acted on the faith and smuggled these guys out the window. She did something about her faith. You know, we live in a culture today where they just don't get that. People today think, well, as long as I believe, that's all that matters. I believe, I believe in God. In fact, if you look at surveys, how many people in America believe in God, even believe in Jesus, it's a plurality of Americans. It's quite stunning. You would think that America would be this strong Christian nation. We're not anymore. We're a pagan, hedonistic, self-centered, narcissistic nation. And very few people are truly devout Christians, but you take the basic survey, how many believe in Jesus? Everybody, everybody! All kinds of people believe in Jesus. But it doesn't really mean jack because they don't do anything about it. You have to act on it. When you hear the message of Jesus, you need to act. One of the main things we need to act, that's why we turn from our sins. That's why we get baptized. That's why we encourage you to become members of the church. You got to do something. You can't just sit and listen. If your version of Christianity is just sitting listening, you're deceiving yourself. And God bless you. There's thousands of people who listen to my beautiful voice every Sunday morning on TV. Hi, all you people out there. And I meet these people, the wonderful people in our communities, and they always run, oh, I watch you on TV all the time. I watch you on TV. I say, yeah, do you go to church? No, I just watch you on TV. Really? Come on, that's not real faith. I'm glad you watch me, and I'm hoping that you hear something that'll get you off of your butts. (laughs) To do something. Get dressed, for heaven's sakes. (laughs) Go to church. (laughs) You don't want to come to my church? Go to somebody else's church. I don't care. Go do something. The point of you need to be at least like Rahab. Rahab, the hoe, is a lot smarter than a lot of these people. They listen to gospel all the time. They don't do anything. Sit at home with your coffee, coffee, coffee. (laughs) Thinking you're being spiritual. Again, you could be watching something bad. I'm glad you're listening to me. Peace. But I'm not going to lie to you. You're deceiving yourself. You're deluding yourself. You think you listen to a guy like me or some other preacher, and that's your religious experience. You're crazy. You have got to act. You've got to do something. Go to church. All right. So she acted on her faith. The other thing that we see is that she obeyed the instructions that were given to her. <laughs> now, that's not very popular today. <clears throat> we're Americans. We don't want anybody telling us to do anything. Right? And one of the major problems with our country today, and our culture is really in a bad place. If America keeps on the path that's onward, it's over. I pray to God we'll turn around. The good news is it'll take a really long time. The bad news is it'll take a really long time. Everybody falls asleep and they don't know what's happening. But our country's in a bad place. And Satan, we believe in God, but there's also an evil out there. And he has attacked this nation. One of the ways that you take down a big building is you attack the foundations. One of the foundations that he has attacked, many foundations in our country. But one of them is respect for authority. People used to respect authority is what helps build a culture and gives order to a culture. But nobody believes in that anymore. If anything, our, anybody in authority today is attacked. Pe- you know, uh, nobody respects politicians, even though the majority of them are really good men and women who serve their communities. But all the, what do you hear about? Is the rotten scumbag who took money. Right? That's what we hear. You can't trust anyone because of that. Really? Of all the ministers and pastors, men and women who serve their communities of faith, what do you hear about? That one priest who took advantage of them boys, or that preacher who took money from such—that's a... so all you hear about. It's all to get people into a place where they don't trust authority. And oh, good heavens, if you're a cop today, what's all that about? Seriously, even if a few of these guys were bad, which wouldn't be shocking, uh, but even if they were, so you tell me they're all bad? See, that's the point. Nobody, anarchy, rebellion. We don't listen to anybody. nobody I got to tell us anything to do. And make no mistake, this affects all of us. And as pastors, and I'll tell you, any pastor who's listening to me right now, you go talk to me, I'll tell you exactly the same thing. We live in a culture that people come into churches, they'll come and they're suspicious the entire time they're there. What are you doing to money? Why are you making us do that? Why well, don't like it. we're going to vote on this. How come, you, who are you? And they're constantly Attacking authority. Nobody trusts anybody. You can't tell me what to do. Rahab wouldn't like that. She acted on her faith to tell me what to do. And they gave her detailed instructions. and She listened to those instructions and she did it. But we have people that they don't want to listen to anybody. Well, I, I, you know, I believe in God. I, I can get, I, well, I hear a lot of this. You know, I can get as close to God out on a deer stand as I can sitting in charge. Horse manure. The reason why you like the deer stand is the deer stand can't talk to you. And the trees don't take an offering. Somebody say amen. amen. And the deer aren't asking you to get volunteered and help in some area. It's easy to get close to God out there. That's a very convenient God. He don't ask nothing of me. I just sit out there and chill. You're it getting close to God, you're delusional. Well, oh, I, I trust, I believe in God. Look, if you're not acting on it, it doesn't mean Jack. It even teaches in the New Testament. James wrote this in the New Testament. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but doesn't do Jack? Which is what has no deeds means. <laughs> Modern translation's on the fly. Can such a faith save him? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. He's asking an absurd question. Can you get saved if you don't do nothing? No. Suppose a brother or sister, Bob here, he got nothing. No clothes, no food. He's just a poor guy. And one of us comes to him and says, you know, brother, go in peace. Keep warm and well fed. We're praying for you, brother. We're really praying. We're agreeing together. We're behind you. We're so far behind you as you can't see us. But we're really behind you but does nothing about it. What good is it? It's not good at all. There's a lot of people. (laughs) They will hear about someone in need and say, oh, well, we'll really pray for you. The Bible says if you can do something about it, but you don't do anything, your prayers don't mean jack. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, Well, you have f- faith, I have deeds. He says, Show me your faith without your deeds. I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe in there's a God. Good exclamation point. He's being sarcastic. What he's saying is whoopy stink can do. Even the demons believe that. The devil believes in Jesus. How's that working out for him? You know, I believe in Jesus. I believe. Listen, just believing doesn't mean anything if you don't do something about it. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not just by by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did. They were still talking about it here, it's been two, three thousand years since this happened, and James is still talking about this lady. What she did was a big deal for this nation. At that time, it was a critical moment. And that's why they considered her righteous, because of what she did. Not just because of what she felt, not just because of what she thought. But what she did, actions. Finally, she stayed in a place of safety. They told her, okay, here's the deal. She acted on it. She protected them, get, got them out of there. She followed the instructions. You got to hang the scarlet cord and stuff like that. Don't leave the house. You stay inside. Everybody you want to survive needs to stay in a place of safety. If, this is an absolute picture of what the Christian experience is like. You hear, you come to faith, you have to act on that faith that's why you get baptized you repent of your sins all these things things that you want to do and that's amazing you know how many people some of you listen to me right now since you've come to faith you haven't been baptized you don't want to get baptized why cuz you don't want to get your hair wet i know you i love you but i know you seriously well, i don't want to do nothing you've got to act on it and then you have to listen to instruction which is hard for people cuz we don't want to trust anybody and you need to stay part of a Christian community. That's why it's important to be in a church. That's why it's so convenient to watch us on TV. Watch us on the internet. Don't have to be in a church. The beauty of internet or television, you don't have to listen to anybody. Nobody tells you anything. Nobody asks you for anything. You don't have to sit next to someone who's got BO. It's a great gig. We smell nice here. Most of us. He stayed in that place of safety. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. At some point, you need to come, be part of something bigger than you, and actually, yes, listen to some other people, listen to one another, take instruction, volunteer, give money, serve, do all the things that's required. That's when you know you get this. That's when it's real. If you're not doing that, I would challenge you, you're not really living out your Christianity. Particularly those of you just sitting watching us on television. That's not Christianity. You need to do something. One of the things you can do is get off your butt and actually come to church. That's an act. All these people here this morning, they're acting on their faith. When they're here and participating and singing and giving, all of, they're acting on their faith. They're not earning their way to God. There's people who come to church, they're gonna try and earn their way to God by doing all those things. They got it backwards. You can't earn your way to God. But once you come to God, one of the signs of truly following God is the actions that come with it. So this is this slate, this incredible lady. Now, so they come in They wipe out this place. They have this great victory. They're on their way to taking over the the promised land. Uh, But I want to give a little epilogue here because this is a part of the story that's often overlooked. It it didn't end here for Rahab. Most people just end, they think that was it. She saved everybody, nice lady, and, and they go on. But the Bible keeps talking about her in little obscure spots. What happens is her life changes dramatically. Rahab was no longer viewed as an unclean prostitute. She was celebrated in Israel and treated with great respect. Great respect. They loved this lady. They said, her, "James was talking about her three thousand years later. I'm still talking about her now." She was greatly celebrated in her nation, her new nation, her adopted nation. They didn't look at her. Oh, that's that hoe. ho, 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 ho. Is that nasty? Oh, she's oh, don't. Yeah, it's nice that she did that, but you know, don't, don't shake her hand. You know, wash your hand for sure after touching her. She's one of those people. You know what she did? You know what she used to do for a living? Nobody looked at her that way. Why is this important? Because a lot of people come to faith in Christ. And a lot of you, God bless you. At least, it's a good thing in that you look at yourself humbly because you know where you came from. But some of you, it sucks the life out of you. You can't get past all the rotten things you've done. You know, some of you were alcoholics, and you come to Jesus, and I say, well, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm just an old boozer. I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody. I, I was a drug addict, you know. I, I know God loves me, but when he sees me, oh, yeah, there's that, there's that drug addict, you know. You know, I, I, I was very violent. I, I beat my wife like an NFL football player. You know, I, you know, I'm, I feel really bad about something, but I, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing. I was very immoral. I was a hoe. I'm sure when Jesus looks at me, he goes, oh, well, there's that, that's, there's that hole, Ho, ho, ho. God doesn't do that. When he looks at you, he's not going, oh, there's that rotten guy. Oh, oh, how'd she get in here? <laughs> there's that girl. She's been married 27 times. Oh, that's that guy. He was used to be violent drunk. He was, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember him. I'm glad he comes to church. But no. You have to understand, when you come to Jesus, Jesus, your status changes. When Rahab came and did what she did, her status changed. She had a massive reset in her life. She was treated with great respect. And then one day, this young man, Salmon, sees Rahab. He comes to her and says, would you, would you marry me? Can you imagine the rush of emotion? She must have thought. Salmon, you're, you're a good man. You're an Israelite from the tribe of Judah. You, do, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? I mean, here's a whole lady. She's not thinking about wearing white. She probably did, though. Why? Because her status changed. Salmon marries this lady Everyone celebrated that he married her. Then they had a little boy by the name of Boaz who married a lady by the name of Ruth, Ruth and Boaz. And they eventually had a great, 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 great grandson by the name of Joseph who took Mary as his wife and went to a little city called Bethlehem. It's all part of the Christmas story. She's part of the genealogy. Rahab, this prostitute, is part of this glorious salvation. In fact, there's at least three prostitutes in the genealogy of Jesus. It's quite amazing. It's quite stunning. We're going to look at another one next week. Why? Because when... We come to Christ, everything changes. The Bible says we are now joint heirs with Christ. We've been lifted up. We're in a new place. When God looks at you, he doesn't look at you and doesn't remember your past. He just looks at you and smiles. See, there's nobody in here more holy than the person next to him. Now, there might be someone who sacrifices more, who works more, someone more devout, maybe prays more, fine. But in terms of holiness, we're all redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Do you know the Bible says angels look on us with envy? If they could swap places with you, they'd do it in a heartbeat. You know why? Because in heaven we'll be in a higher state than they. How's that possible? That's what happens when you ask Jesus Christ into your life. You become a joint arrow with Christ. We're lifted up into the heavenly places. You might still feel like a loser. You might still struggle. The haunts of your sin might scream at you every day, but I want you to know when God looks at you, he doesn't remember any of that stuff. To you, you're part of the beloved, glorious family of God that's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Have you made mistakes? Sure, we've all made mistakes, some worse than others. But when you come to Jesus and you ask him for forgiveness, you ask him into your life, not only are your sins forgiven, your status changes. And you are now a joint heir with Christ. It's a glorious story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, help us, Lord, this morning, some who still struggle with their past and feel bad for their mistakes, and maybe some still living with the consequences of their mistakes, I understand that. But Lord, open their eyes this morning. Help them see what you see when you look at them. You don't view us in terms of our sins anymore. You love us incredibly. And Lord, anybody who's listening to me right now here in this church, online, on television, who've maybe never truly surrendered their lives to Christ, I pray this morning that you'd help them to totally and completely let go and to let God and to truly believe and to act upon that belief so that we can experience this glorious redemption, this redemption that we celebrate in the Christmas story. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Have a great day. God bless you.